Welcome to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're going to chat with Derek Taylor to find out what he's doing on his bye week and also talk about everything CFL. And then Murata Tesh of The Athletic hops on as we preview Winnipeg Jets training camp. That's all coming up on the podcast. Uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they're on a bye week, so that means Derek Taylor also on a bye week. What is he up to? Well, let's find out now as the voice of the Blue Bombers joins us. Aditi, I understand you're making your pickleball debut tonight? Well, I'm very excited for it. I come to it with a bit of a nagging knee injury, but not so much that it would put me on the one-game injured list. Uh, but uh, I've found I, I'm not bad at things like tennis. I played badminton in my younger days, and I crushed at ping pong when I was a kid. So I feel like all those skills I can now harness in my old body and uh, take out some friends at uh, pickleball. I'm very excited for this. See, I've never played pickleball. I've seen it, but it just looks like giant table tennis to me. Like you're not moving me much. Too, and I hope that's, I don't want to have to move too terribly much to chase down the ball and stuff. Uh, I just I hope it's going to be a ton of fun because this is the sport like for the next 40 years of my life. This and this in golf, right? Eventually yeah. I'll have to give up basketball. But uh, this and this in golf, this could get me through to my 90s. There you go. Planning ahead, Derek Taylor on his bye week, setting up for the future. <laughs> uh, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers lost in Hamilton on Saturday. You talked to the coach about it last night. That's two years in a row. They've come out of the Banjo Bowl and lost in Hamilton before a bye week. Is that just kind of like a natural human thing to do after such a big high to and knowing you've got a bye week coming up to maybe not have your best? I'm starting to think that it is because when you look at the Bombers' performance into bye weeks in the last couple seasons, well, they've lost four out of the five times they've been going into a bye week thus far. They beat Edmonton earlier in the year. Twice they've lost to Hamilton now. They lost to Montreal in late season last year. You go, is, is this a thing? Because when you talk to players in advance of the Hamilton game this year, they were saying, yeah, no, it won't affect us. That's not a thing from last year. Uh, we came on a little slow last year. Maybe we were looking ahead to the Banjo Bowl or, pardon me, to the bye week. But that's that's not going to happen again. And then they get whacked by Hamilton. And we wonder, did it happen again? And is it a thing that they need to look at going forward? It wasn't as bad as last year where they gave up 48 points to Dane Evans, but they fall behind 10 nothing, and you keep feeling like they're going to come back, but they can never get the big stop when they need it. And honestly, that that misconvert that was taken back, 10-7 becomes 12-6. That's a giant gap that instead of being down by a field goal late, they're down, they need a touchdown. It just completely changed the game. Yeah, absolutely. And then Sergio misses a field goal later, mm-hmm. and people astutely pointed out, hey, the four points the Bombers didn't get and the two points the Ticats did get, that's six points, and that would have been tied, right? It's it's hard. That's, that's such a big-time play, and you just don't expect it when converts are hit, what is it, 93 94% yeah. of the time this year? It's You just don't expect it. That ball should just go through the end zone, but there was Tyreek McAllister, and the Ticats made a play, and I'm with you. We had those good vibes, and then they were immediately canceled, and it was it was hard. Yeah, and when they needed a drive, Hamilton had it for the most part. How much, I think, again, we look at Jackson Jeffcoat, when he's not in the lineup, the pass rush just isn't the same. Yeah, Celestin Haba gets a sack in this one, but you, you heard Doug during the broadcast talking about how they were taking advantage of Haba and able to get to the edge, and he wasn't able to set that edge to keep Powell contained in the pocket 
And it's it stands out as a, as a problem, right? If you're going from Jackson Jeffcoat to virtually anybody who's not an all-star level defensive end, that's a significant drop-off. So if if this is just them biting the bullet and going, you know what, if Jackson gets this week off plus the bye week, he is going to be, the potential is for him to be real good for the rest of the season health-wise. I'm, I'm 100% fine with this. If, if this is just the first of, wow, Jackson's, Injury troubles are going to pop up now. I I don't know what they're going to do down the stretch because Haba will get in the better game shape, but then you don't have a rotational player behind Haba if he has to start, right? So, yeah, it's it's felt substantially different all the games without Jackson this year. 100%. Jefferson's just not the same without his tag team partner out there. So you'll look at now Toronto, BC back to back. We're finally here after the bye week. The much anticipated back to back in BC looked like was going to lose to Ottawa. And the Red Blacks would do a huge favor for Winnipeg, but they rally because Ottawa just they blew it, really. And so mm-hmm. now that game means a lot more because it's just uh, right now a half game difference between the two sides. We expect. They could very well be tied in the standings going into that game. Potentially, we don't know. But the first thing that is on their plate is this rematch with Toronto. We'll talk about it more next week. But, I mean, we're still almost two weeks out. You must be just chomping at the bit to call this game. Oh, I I can't wait. I want to take this bye week and watch every passing snap Chad Kelly's had this season and watch every coverage snap that Jamal Peters has and and every pass rush snap from Falera Narimalade and Sean Oakman and company because Toronto's 11 and 1. They've already won and, the East. I mean, yeah, they've already with you right with 6 weeks left, they've clinched the home playoff game. It's it's crazy. So they're just flying. The offense is as as good as they could have hoped and way better than I thought it would be. Um, I, I try to see what the, what the bombers will do. Toronto forces turnovers and like live ball turnovers, not let's say third down stops. They get a lot of live ball turnovers. If, if Kalaris throws three picks in that game or two picks, or there's one and somebody else fumbles, that is going to be a real tough game to win. It's been really a, a surprise. I think to see how good they've been. They, they were losing in the fourth quarter in Montreal. They found a way to pull that out in regulation, uh, which was really impressive. Part of it's the East is bad, but you know they've they've won all the games they've had to win, and it's been truly something. Uh, the also other thing I think we learned from this past weekend is that the Elks aren't dead yet, and they pull out a big <laughs> win in Saskatchewan. The crossover appears to be dead with Hamilton beating Winnipeg. Um, not that Hamilton's schedule is tough, but I, it looks like the the crossover is probably dead, and we're looking at Hamilton Montreal in the East semi. But Saskatchewan as the three seed isn't a lock, is it? No, it's not. Uh, do they have another one? Where did that season series end up? Uh, hate you, Google. Uh, even and the Elks won on points. Yeah, so the Elks have that season series. So if they get two more wins down the stretch than the Riders do, the Elks could be in the playoffs. And Insane. Do you want to see that team in the playoffs? They'd be hot. If you host the West semifinal, uh, an offense with a quarterback who is... A great runner and able to throw the ball too. Kevin Brown at running back is killing it. And yep. then, oh, by the way, here's a here's a fantastic receiving core, not Bombers level, but Geno Lewis, if Stephen Dunbar comes back off the sixth game, they have a ton of weapons there. Dylan Mitchell isn't having a good season, but he could go. 
Uh, and the defense under Chris Jones, I, I don't know that I want to be the team playing that team in the playoffs. So the Elk schedule, they host BC on Friday, which they could do the Bombers a huge favor in that game. Then they go to Toronto, they host Montreal and visit a Bomber team that might have nothing to play for on October 21st. The Riders at Red Blacks host or at Lions host Tiger Cats at Stampeders and they finish against an Argos team that will have nothing to play for. It's still likely that it is Saskatchewan getting that three seed, but they're not. I mean, if they get in, you'd probably rather see them than a white hot Elks team, wouldn't you? If you're hosting the West Semi, if unless, Jake Dolegal is a yeah, quarterback, unless yes. Trevor Harris is back, maybe. If Trevor Harris is back, and Harris had an availability in Sask last week to say, "Hey, I've been running on an underwater treadmill at five miles an hour, and within a couple weeks, I hope to be back, you know, on on the on grass doing some exercises and stuff like that." If if he's back, I mean, in that week two game, he was throwing darts on this Bombers defense. So, I mean, there's the obvious of you'd rather have just one playoff game than two. But I, I don't know if I if I'm 100 percent confident that Winnipeg slash BC is getting past Sask even in a home West semifinal. And if there's any Calgary fans listening, they're like, wait, why haven't you mentioned Calgary? They also have four wins of uh, they're hosting Montreal this weekend. They are at Hamilton, hosts Saskatchewan in a game that could, you know, that could be their season right there at BC and then host a bomber team in the final week. So they're, they still could do it too. I just haven't been impressed by anything Calgary's done. Is this the most lackluster Calgary season we've seen in like 20 years? Well, they'd won 10 plus games every 18 game season from 2008 to 22, right? Well, I guess so- it'd have to be. Yeah, so you go back to 2007 and before, and I, I will not pretend I remember those those ones. Like I would have to go back to seven and ten in 2007. Dave Sapunjas' head to to remember the Calgary Stampeders back in the day. It's for as long as I can remember. It just what what are they about? What's their offense about? They take the best running back in the league and they rotate him with the other guy, and injuries here and. The story of a bunch of seasons, right? They've had injuries every place but quarterback, and it's just it's just crushed them this season combined with the trouble they had in free agency, let's say, and the guys they they let or had get away from them. It's uh I thought they'd be fourth, but I didn't like last and not near nine wins is is kind of a surprise for me for the stamps. Yeah, the last time they did not have a winning record was 2007. They went 7-10 and 1, still made the playoffs. Last time they didn't make the playoffs, 4 and 14 in 2004. So, it's been a long We're just so used to them being really good and and that time will come again probably for the Blue Bombers. We're looking at years down the road for that, but it it ends for everybody as we know. I'm curious before I let you go, on the topic of most outstanding player, because that's that's the big award, did Zach Lars hurt himself in throwing the three picks on Saturday for his candidacy? He may have, but Vernon Adams also threw a bunch of picks as well, right? He did his in a in a, what was ultimately a win. How much he contributed to that is a whole other question. Yeah. But I mean, the other candidate it was Kelly, but Kelly has. 18 touchdowns. Kalaris has 29. Mm. Uh, Kelly has nine interceptions. Kalaris has, what is it, 13 now? Kalaris is completing, what, a percentage point less, more yards, well, equal yards per attempt, a higher touchdown percentage. Uh, Zach's had some bad games, but he had bad games last year, too. So to me, I would hope not. 
I just think we're going to be talking about voter fatigue as to why isn't Zach Kolaris the West nominee. I'm, I'm just terrified of if BC finishes first in the West, we're going to get a non Kolaris MOP and I'll be at a guy with 38 touchdown passes and 4,600 yards passing. Uh, I'm going to be disappointed with us collectively as voters. Yeah. I, I'm, I still think he's going to get the West nominee. If BC finishes first, maybe, but I just, I just think it's going to be Kelly because of the narrative of Toronto and him getting in there first year starter. Right. I think that's probably, he's going to win the ultimate award, even if his numbers aren't as, as gaudy as Kolaris, but Kolaris should still be the West nominee. Goodness. I, I would hope so. And and the thing with Chad Kelly as MOP, like Toronto's offense produces pretty well, but the difference for them, their defense and special teams, right? Oh, yeah. Like if you want to pick one of their guys and say, just pick most Leak. outstanding defense, their MOP. Yeah, I mean, it's. I'm kidding, but it, you know, to take to take Kelly, they're they're move the ball real well, but there's not a lot of touchdowns. And I'm not. People say, what about eight rushing touchdowns? I'm not impressed by quarterback sneak touchdowns. Uh, Caleb Evans had 16 last year, big hairy deal. So I don't I don't necessarily fall into that. Kelly's been great, and if you're his agent, absolutely the highest paid player in the CFL. You should make my client. But is he the is he the most outstanding player? No, does he is he the quarterback of perhaps the most outstanding team? I could make that argument a lot stronger. Fair enough. And that's one of the debates we'll of course be having over the next month and a half as we get to the close of the CFL season. Derek Taylor, appreciate your time as always, and good luck in your pickleball debut tonight. As long as I don't pull a groin muscle, we're good. Tomorrow we are going to hear from Rick Bonus and Kevin Chevel Day off before the first on-ice sessions of Winnipeg Jets training camp Thursday at the Hockey for All Center. So to preview all the action, we welcome in our friend from the Athletic, Murat Atesh. Murat, how excited are you to go cover hockey again? Oh my goodness. It is the season. Uh, training camp right ahead, uh, Christian. I'm definitely excited. Uh, I think there have been a lot of storylines around the Jets this summer and you know, I don't know what, what it's like when you take the pulse of the fan base right now, but it feels like a sense of optimism, uh, even if Winnipeg has some work to do. Yeah, I get the same sense, even though we know how things ended in the summer or, or in the spring and Dubois being gone, Wheeler being gone, but Shifley and Hellebuck still being here. There's a bit of limbo, but I also get the sense that there's excitement over what this kind of next chapter of the Jets will look like with now a new captain with Adam Lowry. Yeah, Adam Lowry being announced as captain. I mean, certainly that was a good vibes moment for the organization. Uh, I would be one of the many people who says the guys always treated people, at least as far as I can see, absolutely first class. I think he was a great choice for the Jets. Um, I also think that um, he's the sort of player who the Jets organization has earmarked for a leadership role for a little while. Uh, I remember talking to Lowry last summer, and he was telling me a story about how Mark Chipman sort of tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, you know what, Mark Shifley does this in the community, Blake Wheeler does that, Josh Morrissey, um, and had examples for all three of those guys and said, you know what, if you really want to be in that group, uh, it, it might be wise to step up. And by the way, uh, what do you know about the Toba Center, which Lowry has become a huge advocate for now in the last year or so. So I think that 
you know, a lot of people in and around Winnipeg have identified him, not just on the ice, the way that he stands up for his teammates and, um, and, and goes to bat for them, but off the ice as somebody who they sort of want to be an ambassador for the club. So, yeah, absolutely a good news moment for them. And I sense it's going to change how things feel in the locker room because from what we understand, Blake Wheeler, even though he didn't have a C on the jersey, it sounded like he was still viewed as the de facto captain last year in that room. And and we know that it could get a little bristly at times with Wheeler. Yeah, and it's an interesting story. I mean, Wheeler has been able to show up and stand up for his teammates a whole bunch of times. There's, you know, in... Uh, in Josh Morrissey's family story, and I wrote that at The Athletic the first time he shared it, um, you know, when Morrissey uh, stood up just just in tears in Montreal a couple of seasons ago, knowing that it was probably the last hockey game that his, his dad had seen, Wheeler was the one who he had confided in and who was there for a, for a well-timed hug. And at the same time, he was also a, a bristly character in a lot of cases, and not everybody felt welcome in a Blake Wheeler-led room. Um, you know, various various hierarchies were probably still in place. Um, I'm under the impression from talking to some folks that that Wheeler opened up quite a bit last year and, and wasn't quite as bristly as in years past, and and, and really was a, a real positive force in, in the room. So I don't know that it will be a sea change from last year to this, but. In terms of Lowry's impact, I think he's one of the most inclusive people and the most, you know, democratic style leaders. And then I think everybody's going to feel comfortable being heard around him. And I think that's a big part of why they chose to give him the C and what they hope to see from him and their room as the years go by. What are you hoping to learn tomorrow from Bonus and Sheffield Day Off, if anything? Well, I mean, there's some mysteries in and around the Winnipeg Jets right now. I think Kevin Sheveldayoff will tell us that you know, Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck are big parts of the franchise, big parts of the team, and that uh, he has nothing new to share in terms of contract negotiations to the extent that there are some right now. Uh, I think that might be a back burner issue, as, uh, you know, as Pierre Lebrun and company were saying on TSN earlier tonight, um, with focus on the, on the hockey ahead. But still, I mean, we're going to need to follow up on that and see what becomes of those players because they're massive pieces of the team and staring down potential unrestricted free agency. Uh, from a coaching perspective, some of the biggest mysteries are who's going to play second-line center. You know, if Shifley is the de facto number one, is this Cole Perfetti's chance to shine? If it is his chance to shine, how can they put him in a good spot to have success? And I wrote a little bit about that at The Athletic today, talking about Alex Iafalo, where does he fit in, you know, Niederreiter. This is a deep group of forwards, even past the Shifley, Connor, Ehlers, um, you know, group that I think that Winnipeg's come to count on for a lot of years. So there's been maybe some thought that the Jets have a lot of like good third liners, but maybe not a real beefy top six. How do you feel the breakdown is top six, bottom six? What, how, where do the strengths lie in this forward group? Well, it's easy to say the the bottom six is a is a better bottom six group than Winnipeg's had in in years. You know, I projected Winnipeg's forward lines at the Athletic today, and the way that I've got it going is Adam Lowry between Nino Niederreiter and Vladislav Nemesnikov on line three, and if you consider the you know Sakumanalainens and Christian Veselainens and uh, Gabriel Borks and others of the years past that Adam Lowry has played with recently, um, there are 
is every reason to believe that this trio or whichever one Winnipeg is able to give Lowry is going to be one of his best sets of line mates ever. And if you go into the numbers, you do the analytics and the deep dives, Lowry still controls play if he's got good wingers alongside him. He was phenomenal with Nito Niederreiter and Mason Appleton last year down the stretch. And I think that there's every reason to think that that's an impactful line. Um, And if that's the case, well, then Rasmus Kupari, Mason Appleton, Morgan Barron, probably that fourth line, that's a tremendous amount of youth, quality, size, skating, all of it's there. Morgan Barron, of course, coming off of a pretty heroic playoff comeback after that, that skate into the face. Um, and Rasmus Kupari being a presumed roster lock based on being a big part of the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade. But that's not all of Winnipeg's depth. And I think that's the place where Winnipeg shines. In that top six, though, I think that you need to see steps forward. You can count on Shifley and Connor for offense. Uh, Cole Perfetti has every chance to be a breakout player this season. His top six minutes seem assured. Gabriel Velarde as well. He broke out for Los Angeles last year. And as the biggest piece in the Dubois trade, I think that uh, that Winnipeg is going to give him every chance to succeed offensively too. And for someone like Nick Ehlers, it's... It's health, right? Because when he's healthy, he's a very productive forward, but he's had a bit of an issue the last couple of years of staying in the lineup. Yeah, it's, it's funny. He's actually, you know, in the absolute elite upper echelon of NHL players in terms of what he produces when he's on the ice. If you just look at Nick Ehlers' shifts, you count them up, you count up the minutes, and you compare the offense he generates, the points he puts up in those minutes to other NHL players, he's up there with the best first-line players on the planet, and yet... He played the fewest minutes per game of his career last season. Um, So if that was about recovery from that uh, abdominal surgery, that sports hernia injury, um, that is uh, then we're going to need to see that improve. If he still needs to somehow figure out a way to advocate for himself or if Rick Bonus needs to find more minutes for him, I think that's going to be a big thing, too. Uh, he'll do himself a lot of favors by staying healthy and playing closer to an 82 like he had previously done for so many seasons before the last couple have, have been a little bit troublesome for him. On the blue line, there's still a log jam. There's been a log jam for a couple of years. There's still a log jam. Young players are blocked. Dylan Sandberg found a way in, but no one else will be able to. You'd think with the the defensemen they have, are you anticipating not a move to be made now, but at some point in the first few months of the season, or are they going to run it back? Well, Winnipeg is in win now mode by their own, you know, by their own volition, by their own, um, the goals that they've set for themselves. They want to be a competitive team that makes the playoffs and then who knows what they can accomplish from there. So I don't see them jettisoning a veteran, even if they look expensive in terms of how efficient their contracts are. Nate Schmidt, $6 $6 million, approximately that just under, that's an awful lot to pay a third-pairing defender. But I don't think they're in a hurry to move on from him, not only because the market for a trade like that wouldn't be big, but because he genuinely delivered results on that third-pairing alongside Dylan Sandberg. And for a team that wants to win right now, make sure it makes the playoffs more than anything, I don't think that the Jets are in a hurry to, to make those kinds of moves that open up opportunity for that next generation and you know that puts a player like Declan Chisholm who is excellent for the Manitoba Moose at risk Um, but then you know we've seen a couple of young defenders mostly it's Dylan Sandberg as a success story over the last little while a last season where he was able to step up and claim that third pairing job he even surpassed you know another relatively young player in Logan Stanley who's going to be in a tough spot to find minutes this year 
Um, but all of those players are still there. And if everybody stays healthy, somebody's got to go on waivers. And Kyle Capo, Bianco, Declan Chisholm, probably the first two in, in, in play for that. Winnipeg could lose another good young defenseman like Jonathan Kovacevic last year. And, you know, that's not ideal, but I think that they, they're, they're not looking to clear room just because they want to win this season. And injuries are inevitable. They have insurance in that way if someone does get hurt with Capo Bianco slash Stanley slash Chisholm if they don't lose any of them on waivers. And then obviously in net, Connor Hellebuck's here for now. What's your vibes meter right now telling you about his potential to be here beyond this season? You know, I thought and still think that a short-term extension makes a lot of sense for Connor Hellebuck and the Winnipeg Jets. I don't know that I want to be a team paying a player massive money into his mid-30s like a a long-term extension for Hellebuck would offer. We've seen goalies of Hellebuck's quality falter in those situations. Sergei Bobrovsky was one. Carey Price is another. There's just an age where goalies get to where you can't quite count on them for Vezina caliber seasons anymore. From Hellebuck's perspective, um, if he believes in this team as a playoff team, then, well, hey, winning is available to him here. If it turns out that he doesn't and he's looking to go shopping for a big-ticket deal somewhere else, well, the cap situation around the league right now is that most clubs are anticipating an increase not only this year but the year after, and they've got multiple timelines in terms of how they're doing their long-term planning. I think teams will have more money to open up to pay a guy like Hellebuck big time uh, next summer and perhaps even the year after that. So the Jets are unveiling a special jersey on Saturday. Do you have any intel on what this is going to be? Well, it's pointed out to me that the Royal Canadian Air Force is celebrating its 100th anniversary around around these parts uh, this year. And um, if that's the case, given the organization's, you know, Rondell-inspired logo, some of the partnerships that they've had over the years, Military Appreciation Night, maybe there's something special that they'd like to do alongside that. But that's speculation at this point. I don't I don't know that that's necessarily 100 uh, percent. There's also been rumors of uh, a little bit more heritage jersey this year as well, based on what some of the guys have been pictured in in, in their pre-camp skates. Again, I think that's just speculation. The Jets have done a good job of giving fans a reason to get out there on Saturday for Fan Fest uh, to give them a, a little bit of a reveal as well uh-huh. on the day, in addition to seeing their favorite players. Absolutely. And as far as the young guys are concerned, they're not going to make the team, but who are you looking forward to just seeing in preseason action? Yeah, Winnipeg is exciting in terms of prospects again. And and it's fun to think about, you know, I was watching the Young Stars tournament in Penticton where Nikita Chibrikov just generated a whole pile of chances for himself and scored a goal, hit a couple of posts as well. He's a guy that flies under the radar offensively for Winnipeg because you hear a lot of talk about Brad Lambert and Chaz Lucius and certainly Rutger McGroarty, who's in college and and won't be at camp, or Colby Barlow, who scored a ton of goals in the OHL last year. But Nikita Chibrikov has an NHL-level release. His shot is quality, absolutely. I still think he goes to the moose as he learns to sort of make time and space for him at this level of play. Uh, He's somebody I'm looking forward to seeing against that high level of competition alongside those prospects like Barlow and Chaz Lucius, et cetera. Finally, though, on the prospect note, um, the goalies, Dom DeVincentis, Thomas Millich, I'd love to see how they stack up. And Elias Salomonson just turned 19 years old, played a full year in in Sweden for a top men's team in their top league and, and went all the way to the finals in that league. 
uh, in playoffs last year and was an effective third-pairing defenseman. That's pretty darned good for that age. He was 18, just turned 19, and I think he's somebody I'm looking forward to in the future as well. Well, what we're looking forward to is a lot more hockey talk on CJOB. I know you're going to be a big part of it. Marat, thanks for this, and we'll uh, see you soon. Thanks for having me, Christian. Good to be back. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to